There's a tendency to speak too far away from the mic, and I, I'm on the side of intimacy, especially verbally, vocally, orally. I know, but it actually makes your speech less clear when you're that close to the mic, because you get all the it, feedback or whatever. There's some engineering term for that, but I wish that one of these fucking nerds who listens to our show could just enlist himself. And I can say we, himself. Can we just put out that call right now? If you I mean, are a huge fucking dweeb who lives in New York City and loves nothing more than to get technically competent with audio equipment, get in touch with us. To Cheryl.Lauren at gmail.com, Dioringer at gmail.com. We Especially... will pay you for a consultation session. We probably can't afford to pay you for every episode, nor do we actually want someone to be there. But if you can just fucking tell us what equipment to get and how to use it, that would be a boon, as they say. A boon, Iowa. A booner. Shout out to boon, Iowa. Because I foresee some definite difficulties upon yeah. your arrival in the megalopolis. My imminent arrival, sweaty. If there's anything I love, it's a sense of imminent arrival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's me much- and it's me and my good friend, Omicron. We're both imminent, <laughs> you know. I, that's that's a myth. I don't. I believe you don't think she's arrival. coming. She talks to me. She uh, she's coming. She never comes with me. Mm, well, no one ever does, do they? That was the. You were setting you me need, up. You, yeah. didn't need, you need. You need. Didn't need to underline it. <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. Okay, I'm a master of. I know. Subtlety oration. Oh, that was good. I, I was just. I was having this like a uh, garlic chive goat cheese kind of spread. I didn't know you were a spread girl. Not really, but it's a. Oh dip. no, am I? Am I a spread I, girl? It may be more of a dip. It may I be think a quote. It's a dip. <laughs> Who's making the scare? Rabbit ears. I, I do believe it's um. I do believe it's a quote dip unquote. What would a dip um, look like outside of those quotation marks? That's a great question. <laughs> and more importantly, what would it look like inside of like weird European quotation marks? You know the ones that are not above, mm. like the French ones. I. Those that are like two less than signs. Yeah. French what that kind of dip look so like? Ugly to me. It's hard to even. There's a type of sandwich called them. a French dip. Oh, that's a, isn't that, it's a, a Midwestern. It is. Yeah. Delicacy. I remember the one time I had it, I had it at like the Grand Rapids airport. It, it involves, good. it's a jus. It it's a jus. jus. It's a sharp jus. You, you never really updated us on the, on your oh, yeah. Jus. Well, I think my lamb saga happened while you were um, ill. Well, you were COVIDian, yeah. Well, um, we don't need to read. read yeah, I mean, that yeah. Episode, but I want to hear about your as you. A sharp. It was a sharp you. Okay. Long story short. Yeah. We had a lot of rosemary left from Thanksgiving. My mom said, "What should we do with the rosemary?" I said, "Why not make a lamb?" Rosemary famously good with lamb. I found a recipe. More of a springtime thing, though, really. No, I think I think lamb can be a, a holiday thing. No? That's right. I think, think so. so. 
I think it more. I think of it more as an. But Easter. it is. I, it's more of a Passover. Easter it's like thing. a young yeah. animal. You're celebrating right. regeneration growth. Right. Yeah, and Eid. Anyways. it's a thing in Eid too. Shout out to my uh, Mohammedans in the audience. Spelled M O H E M M A D A N. Sort of like a. It seems like a return to a, some sacrificial action where. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, it's just a. It's just a Judeo christian abrahamic it's an abrahamic abrahamic and that's one of the world's greatest traditions if not the greatest in my opinion it's what we all share you know except for the chinese and various pagan island people to my yeah my mental landscape yeah anyway robin's encouraged you to make a lamb oh so she encouraged me to make a lamb she bought 12 pounds of lamb at the fancy butcher at union market shout out to union market sponsor of the pod and I, so Robin encouraged me, I looked up this recipe or she gave me the, let's be real. She gave me the recipe, which is, it says it's like lamb for novices, right? Here's how the recipe works. You carve lambs 12 for lamb. lamb, lambs for little lambikins for innocent little lambs. Um, lambs to the slaughter more like. Mm, that's how I feel going to New York city right now. Am I right? Shout it again to my girl. Yeah, look how, look what, look what, what happened to me in this fucking Look what happened yeah, already, in this town. You already got slaughtered. You look good, by the way. You look healthy. Ravaged. Did you get a haircut? Did you get a haircut? Every, why do people <laughs> asking me if I got a oh, haircut? Nothing's sweaty. changed about the length of my hair. I don't know. It really looks like you got a haircut. Um, I think everything's the same. I don't, I don't want to say it's the same. My hair's been growing. I only get haircuts in Boston. Oh, okay. I only get my haircut in Cambridge. Is that one of your Uniqlo Aquamarine sweaters? Actually, no. This is a more uh, a sweater of some vintage. Oh, elbow uh, patches. Threadbare, as somebody would say. Mm. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's actually a Land's End it's oh, sort nice. of sweater. Okay. It's, it's sort of intriguingly modeled. You can't really see it, but I don't know. Okay. I, what I the believe word you. For this is, but I mean, I can check is... it out IRL soon enough. Also, I'm wearing in celebration of yes baby festive episode i'm wearing my green ah, yes. this is like my new uniform i love it i love it a threadbare prep or something of that nature. something like that i mean that's always that's always be threadbare prep has always been like post-punk adjacent you know it's so it's always been my aesthetic it's all yeah like i remember in college i had that blazer and i would wear like a plaid skirt sometime but also like heavy boots it's just it's just like punk what are you thinking about in terms of your aesthetic for um your big imminent move oh my god thank you so much for asking um i think i'm doubling down on athleisure um Mm. yeah well you're a nanny so you need to stay exactly yeah the thing is like yeah it's just so fucking practical my wardrobe um but i I try to go with practical yet chic so i asked the solstice bear Shout out to the Solstice Bear for um, a number of athleisure out matching outfits, such as a velour tracksuit, such as a fleece tracksuit, um, as well as some nice Adidas uh, sneakers. So you're with, like, returning the strap. to your kind of yeah. European street urchin. Look. Returning. <laughs> returning. Well, <laughs> or continuing the, uh, yeah. the Euro. Yeah. Gaming, like a little uh, a little gamine i was thinking the other day i think if i ever went to france i'd be very welcome there i just feel like they would they would take a um, shot well 
we might i think we should maybe take a little detour a little digression down there i I would love to take a little digression to i don't know about you but i'm gonna take a sojourn in europe all all are you gonna take a sojourn i don't think i'm gonna have much to return to you don't think so i'm gonna stick it out in the occident yeah um, I also recently purchased some tickets to head home, which is to say to Israel <laughs> in March. For a little, I'm so excited for you. The, an Abrahamic sojourn. In a little Abrahamic sojourn. Okay. Or Odov said, like, well, I'll take you to Masada. And, and you should. And Masada's beautiful. Home. Yeah. But I already took the tour of all this shit on a, a bar mitzvah sponsored tour bus. When oh, I, I did that like too. 13. Yeah. So wow. I, I was hoping just to smoke weed on a beach. You could also do that, I would imagine. That was all I wanted to do. Tel Aviv's it, cool, right? It has some people who are not psychos in it. Apparently, he's, Odov tells me everybody there is money obsessed. Oh, surprise, well, surprise. What do you expect? <laughs> he said, a bear this is shit like, in the woods? He, he said, he said, the way he put it, though, is it, as though this were a new phenomenon. He said, yeah, the city's <laughs> really changing for the worse. Everyone's money obsessed now. You won't believe it. The capital of this state by and for Jewish people. <laughs> the Jewish state's really uh, succumbing to some deleterious influences lately. Everybody oh, is God. just lost in uh, economic thinking. Oh, Everybody, God. you know, mammon. You know about mm, mammon. I know all about mammon. As I, I avoid said, it like the plague. Speaking of which, please buy our mug. This is a great segue into... <laughs> Speaking of mammon, you'd like to help me commit mammon. I'm still thinking about your lamin. Oh, my lamin? Oh, you want to hear the lamb story? Okay. Thank you. Long story short, you cut 12 incisions into the lamb, into the fatty, because you need to get a a haunch with like a fatty top. Yeah, yeah, like with a cap of fat. That's what it's called. I'm really sorry to everybody. You like stud it, right? Like when I made it, I studded it. Is that the right word? Uh, with, gar- with garlic and things you spear like that. you kind of so here's Spirit. what you do you cut the 12 incisions um and then within each incision you insert deep into the incision you insert a paste of rosemary garlic and anchovy there was like two tins of anchovy in there total okay so you you stuff it into the incision and then mm. you also then you slather some more anchovy and olive oil over <clears> the the surface of the lamb I feel like I feel like that lady. I feel like the one of the maids in Fanny and Alexander. When she get to her, is there a lot of is there a lot of resistance yeah. when you try to when you try to insert the paste into the incision, or does it do your fingers uh, slide no, pretty I would easily? Say, I would say it's pretty labile. Yeah, pretty labile. That's what that's exactly the Be-tense adjective out. I thought of when I was making. The there's movie. not much. There's not much force against, or it's not. It's not very constricted. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's constricted. I'm no. just wondering because I'm thinking no. about I might. I might try to replicate this myself, and I. Oh, um, I want to make sure that there's not a lot of that, that it's not too right. painful for my fingers that I'm not right. struggling to enter. God a, forbid a you struggle to enter. You know, when I struggle to enter a lamb pocket, it really brings me down, especially on Christmas. I know. I know. Well, especially on Christmas. Nobody wants to encounter that kind of contraction. Speaking of which, our jovial rape scene, which is not really uh, a rape upon rewatch. I mean, um, I don't know. In today's idiom, I think it might qualify such because it's really a power dynamic. Think, no, I really Although think I even did, in today's idiom, that's not a rape. I think it's the very consensual. I'm most intrigued, I was most intrigued by are between Alexander, who can't be older than 13, 
And, he's and, no, I think he's canonically 10, 10 or 11. And, and yeah. Maj and this oh, sort of my, my, incest, yeah. incestuous. Oh, yeah, they have a little. Yeah, there's some pre-sexual tension. tension. No, she says, I, I, I actually. You yeah, she's like, sorry, I'm cheating on you with yes, your uncle. And I can't yeah. just have any number of men in my bed. You can't sleep with me tonight. And it's almost yeah, like he's cool. he's almost refused by this figure. He's like somewhat of a sister, somewhat of a lover, somewhat of a mother. Yeah. I, and he turns away very. He pat, he's he just pouts. Yeah, no, he turns away petulantly. Yeah. Petulantly turns. That was exactly mm-hmm. the word I was going to wow. use. He's outraged. Um, there's also the a light incest uh, with the uh, uncle Carl Carlchen hitting on his niece, Petra. I don't know if you noticed that during the Christmas dinner. I got a lot of the um, characters kind of confused. Well, well, I'm not watching this for the third time, but back to Mammon. Okay. Struggle mug plug. Folks, I need to put in my order with Forrest Mulliken of Studio One Printing in Sterling, Virginia um, after Christmas. So order now because I need to know how many to order. It is, and I will emphasize this for those of you who may be more, let's say, like those in Tel Aviv, uh, it's a special price. Okay, it's twenty. It'll go up to twenty-five after the holidays. After he has risen. Oh wait, fuck. That's Easter. After. I mean, he's emerged after. His after emergence. he's emerged, yeah. Um, he came. He came out right. He didn't get a C-section. He's a woman born. Well, I mean, he's a woman born, but it's unclear where the male element was no but my point is Where like is because i think that because i think in macbeth what it was what, the reason why Macduff could kill macbeth is because he was a c-section Wait. that's what it means to be of woman born yeah of woman but, born is is not is not a c-section that's vaginal that's what i'm saying that's why and so and because remember the apparition told macbeth he could not be slain by any of right. women born and macbeth is like oh well i'm good then but i guess it's a technicality oh. that that's why Macduff could I don't really know. Were there were C-sections performed back in the day? Yeah, very primitively. That seems yeah. like it would just kill the woman, though. I mean, that, I mean, either way, it's pretty high risk of dying, whether it comes out the, the canal or the... I think it's better just let the kid claw out of there if it can't go <laughs> the original way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show this. <laughs> I'm going to tell my brother's girlfriend who's an OBGYN <laughs> I think most OBG, I mean, I. You think you I could probably, once, yeah, armchair OBGYN. I actually, somewhat disturbingly, was once told by a high school English teacher of mine that I would make a good gynecologist, which is. You probably would. In odd. Yeah. Well, I won't interrogate that statement too much right now. <laughs> but my professional opinion as a would be gynecologist is let the kid claw out. Let him, okay. if, you, if you want to be on this earth, you'll, you'll get it here. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I didn't have to. I'll consider that. Out. Oh, I was. I was. Apparently, I was eager to eject, <laughs> to be ejected, to eject myself. Yeah. Who's? What's really the agent? To exhume the subject. Yeah. And the object. I mean, who's doing? Is it? That's a, a great question. Process. That it's is. That's reciprocal. actually kind of a. That's kind of a deep question. Yeah. I mean, there's the hormonal infusion, a natural hormonal infusion that sort of starts the process. Yeah. And then there's, but it's almost like. And we'll talk about this in the in this volume, obviously, because yeah. there's like a, a sort of excruciating and actually quite, I think one of the most amazing sequences of literature I've ever read of a of delivery. Yeah. But it almost seems as though these contractions are happening. It's not agentic. 
mm-hmm. right? It's like, like so this, his wife is like, you know, submitting to this <laughs> process. She has like, she has no say. Well, that's that why thing. he's, I mean. You know, and I, the baby's going to come out, it's going to come out, you know? I mean, neither crucially does he. That's why he's sort of sitting there in this state of like anguished uh, impotence almost. Right, yeah. Um, as you know, I'm often in a state of anguish impotence, but not in that context. Mm. That's mm-hmm. where we all, that's where we all but back to the mugs. Um, <laughs> I really need to get an estimate. Um, wait, are you still, are you collaborating with our friends who designed the shirts? Is this the same? Bro? Yeah, this is my same guy. Oh, I actually Jeffrey Mulligan have... of Studio One Printing in Sterling, in Sterling Virginia. Yeah. They're really like our official partners at this point. They are. I love those guys. Yeah. And what shout out, speaking of them? speaking of ejection, um, mm-hmm. the the re- one reason why they're so slammed right now, although they're supposed to be going to be better soon, is because Jeffrey's wife had a baby. So, oh, Forrest, Forrest, yeah, congrats to Jeffrey. Many happy returns. I'm sure they made the child a beautiful little shirt. Oh, I bet they did. The whole thing, customized mug, shirt, tote bag. Um, I don't know decals. What I don't I don't know what the other things they. We need but... some new. So we got the mug coming. That well, that's why. Okay, that's what I'm trying to make this plug for Andrew. Is okay, people sorry, I'm to not pre-order really a, a mug. No, I appreciate it. No, I appreciate. I appreciate you trying to help. Um, mm. another thing is, um, <coughs> I recently received a shipment, an unsolicited shipment, but a welcome shipment <coughs> of. Oh no! Is it the long, the long co, the LC? No, Drew has way. long COVID right now, listener. Actually, let's let the world think I do because I didn't <laughs> get out of the ship. Um, uh, what was I thinking? Okay, so a uh, listener sent me some button badges he made, such of the kind that if you were a, a post-punk guy in the 80s, maybe you adhered to a denim or leather jacket. Um, very cool. They're very cool, very Gen X. And if you order now, if you're among, the, I guess, the first 42 Although already we've had like 15 or 16 orders. If I will throw in one of those badges, this listener has given his blessing. Um, furthermore, I know the shipping is a lot. There's nothing I can do about it. However, keep in mind, you get a handwritten note. Last time I put a handwritten note in every single shirt, every single, every single order, I personalize them. And really? this time, yes. And this time Drew's going to be helping me. So um, a handwritten note for me. Or from Drew is going to be helping me. He my handwriting has is already consented. Famous for being illegible. Well, mine entirely. is too. So you might get my tartar handwriting, or you might get Drew's. I mean, I could do even more tartar handwriting. Note. What about a, what about a type? <laughs> note? Just get out. Just get out your Elvis Martin. And type yeah, I'll, I'll write, yeah. I mean, that's a motif. I'll that is adopt. A good motif, yeah. Shout out to Alpha Smart. The Alpha Smart. Um. And I'll just type you a really meaningful appreciative gracious note on an alpha smart although in my case it's more like what about an alpha tartar alpha tart yeah well no alpha, alpha tart, tart is a, is a slut alpha uh, what about a beta tart beta tart um, i don't even know what that is at that point what do you mean? beta smart beta I what would you give about this. To i don't child. i don't like to talk about greek letters anymore you know i'm, I'm just, just wondering what you would give to a child who maybe wasn't smart Oh, like if you think your kid's, you know, if a kid's a little not necessarily the, stupid, the, but no, on the slow middling attention. Oh, okay, slower, you know, slowed down. Right. Okay. It's important in this day and age. So everything moves so fast. I would embrace a child who was a little, 
decelerated. decelerated. Okay, good. I mean, I I've like been trying you. to decelerate my own brain ever since I left, ever since I got to college. That's true. Uh, and look where I left me. I'm a fucking <laughs> podcaster now. Yeah, glory, glory and riches. Have you succeeded. You. You're, You've succeeded. <laughs> your mental acuity has been totally blunted. <laughs> That's how you got ahead you in just, this world. You just got horny watching a maid cuddle a child in a Bergman <laughs> film. You didn't think about any aesthetic reflections. Just got vaguely horny and then called it a day. Just cut. Uh, zoomed in to talk about Maj. Yeah. The well, maid. that hypothetically one. Yeah. She does have the her breasts are very kind of tightly pressed together, and she says, "I look like a lady, don't I?" And he's just sort of lying in bed. Mm-hmm. Alexander. Yeah, it's weird how much she. That also made me uncomfortable because I am myself a nanny. Um, I think that was overtly sexual. I. Yeah, it's just weird the extent to which she flirts with her her kids. Like, well, she's a little think, flirt. She's a sort of a strumpet. She's she's with everybody. My, I mean, well, she she's not? banging Gustav Adolf. That's for sure. Right. I mean, there's a lot of intermeshment of like different family. You know. Yeah. The fa- there's like the family of the s- servants. There's the family of the theater troupe. Mm-hmm. And then there's the family proper <laughs> yes and then there's the, the, Jew, the interloping jew just comes in and makes my man my favorite grandma. character yeah honestly i really i made me endeared the grandmother to me that she's you know in yeah. love with this with this jew magician guy yeah i mean nice. poor guy has to sit through a whole christmas ceremony <laughs> Did you notice you like all the all the scenery in the in the gentile household is like robust twinkling and then they go to the um, as Isaac leaves his like studio or whatever, just like dark yeah. and empty. Yeah, no, it's not empty though, because you see, if you watch the rest of this film, you'll find Isaac's right. studio is quite. Oh, it's like a full. magic chamber. It's a labyrinth. Yeah, it's a labyrinth. It's meant, labyrinth at least in on time. Christmas yeah. Eve, it's like it's very sparse that that night. Well, you, you know, it's see, not their it's not their night. I know. It's, it's not, you know, it's not sometimes you just have although, to go to your your gentile friend's house and enjoy a nice green that's, and that's red interior decor. Yeah. Look, tonight just it's not your night. It's not your night. It's just not. But it's like they're totally accepting of him, you know. They are actually in a weird way. It was sort of oddly, it was reassuring. Although it was, this was, I was reading some about, about that scene and the I think someone said it's like utopian, the scene there of the cross religious, cross class. Um, uh, seen at the at the Christmas dinner, although cross incest, you know. I mean the division. Yeah, I guess it, actually it's odd because the incest seems to be like the result of that blending. I mean, I don't know. You could talk about it in a utopian way, but also like, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do with the incest aspect. That seems to be a maybe a darker. It's not. Strength. It's not a huge. No, thing. it's not. It's not a huge theme in it. Like he he does deal with some weird psychosexual stuff, but I wouldn't say incest is the. Well, maybe it's like more that actually, large. but there are divisions that remain and seem painful, right? Because a lot of the older staff say to the matriarch of the family, you know, it's been forty years, and yeah, they, it's been forty years. They seem to expect an outpouring of emotion, as though like look at everything we've experienced together. Yeah, we've endured together, and she kind of just every time. I mean, it sort of becomes a motif. She just says, oh, has it really, like, affects... Well, but I think that's also because this this movie is ultimately... Well, maybe not ultimately. 
but it's about death. Death looms large in this movie. And I think Mrs. Ekdahl is a little bit in denial right. about her own death. And that's why, and I think that's why you see her cry. You're right. Yeah. Right after in, her servant a, says that. Um, and when did her husband die? Relatively recently? I, I, they, that's never really explained. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's never explained. It's also unclear where they get their money from. Like the family owns a, uh-huh. a theater, but there's no way they made all their money from that originally. Like, are they just? She old? also is a kind of a tip. She's a tippler. She drinks quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. She hits the hooch. I mean, she's definitely getting yeah. a bit of um. She's getting the death anxiety. Yes, she's definitely getting. I thought. I think her conversation with Isaac after everyone else is gone is so um. Especially because in a deeply Protestant milieu, you can't be assured of where you're headed. I don't and, think she's you know, really that worried about that. But I'm just I saying think, that these deep Protestants, they don't have like a system of good works, right? You just need to hope you're among the elect. Yeah, but I don't think she believes in any of that. I think she's just sad that oh. she's not as hot as she used to be and that yeah. she's going to die soon. Well, that's why, the, I mean, that's why too, we see this rather, um, what's the word? The, family, you know, the they, family's quite secular, as far as true. we can tell. Especially, and then you'll see in, in coming episodes with the, the Biscop, it's quite different. Well, this is the sort yeah. of, yeah, you're right. But there's a kind of the Christmas Eve itself is a rather animal display of like appetites, right? I mean, everybody's getting drunk, they're eating. It's sort of it's it's not quite sybaritic, but there's a sort of healthy delight in the flesh. Exactly. You know, all, the, yeah. all, the, all the men are getting drunk and chasing the maids around. The the children, the the uncle or whoever is like farting for the, for the little <laughs> kids. That's a beautiful display. What did the fuck s- was that? I was wondering, like, do they see his full-on anus when he performs that? Or well, is that through the pants? Well, no, but don't they have to turn off the, um, to perform this trick, don't they have to turn off the lights except for the paraffin lamp? And the point is he extinguishes mm. the candle or the candle or the lamp or whatever with his flatulence. Oh, I thought the smell of so the they paraffin might not lamp have seen... was when they were looking at the projected images. Yeah, that's different. That's different. Was that also... I mean, is Alexander Ingmar Bergman? So, yeah, I actually wanted to, I have a few things. Because I seem to think that he was entranced by the, what do you call it, the projection device, which also I'm pretty sure is um, how, yeah. how Proust begins his books. Um, yeah, it's there's something. Little, it's a little boy thinking of these images, project, a little boy. Marcel, whoever, thinking about <laughs> the images projected upon his wall, I think, from some primitive, I don't know what you call it. I don't know. I've never read it. 19th century projection device. I don't know. But I'm just saying it's interesting that I'm trying not to use the word interesting. I told myself I wouldn't say the word interesting today. It's so hard not to. I think it's just like a taboo word. Yeah. Although sometimes Um, it is something that's just interesting. But but yes, so this is something I was wondering, and finally I just looked it up. So Alexander is partly based on Bergman. Um, However, the timing is not quite right because this takes place in 1907, and Bergman was born in like 1920 or 19 sometime after that. and so it's this is taking place a generation before Bergman was even born. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. However, Bergman did have a sister 
his father was not like Oscar in this. His father was actually um, more like the bishop, who is a character later on in this. Oh, so there really sure is. We'll get to. I mean, I, still, I don't know yeah. why I thought it had to be like a one-to-one relationship. Obviously, yeah. Perhaps he's just showing us the way in which children are, you know, enamored and treated by. No, but I and I think that part is just... totally. And here's a quote from Bergman um, on this exact topic. He says. It was difficult to differentiate between what was fantasy and what was considered real. If I made an effort, I was perhaps able to make reality stay real. But for instance, there were ghosts and specters. What should I do with them? And the sagas, were they real? And that's him talking about himself as a boy. Actually, that's a good place to begin because I, you know, the film begins. Actually, the prologue. I I love the prologue. Reflect um, on Kanaz Guardian images. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's this boy all alone in silence. There's this eeriness of being a child alone, especially in a kind of old, haunted seeming house. And then fantasy takes hold in things, right? Things become almost animated. Yes. He imagines the the statue moving. There's a Grim Reaper figure that appears. Yeah, there's some memento mori shit. Like it's all coming out. The chandelier starts twinkling in a way that almost seems supernatural. And I thought, of course, I thought of Carl of himself seeing Jesus. Oh, it was very much a Jesus on New Year's moment. Eve. Yeah. Um, and yeah. also, yeah, there's this air of anticipation. We don't even know why he's alone. Why is he alone in the house while the whole family is away? Um, That's a good so question. We're already kind of subsumed in this world of childish fantasy. Did he not go to the nativity play? Is that why he's alone? I guess not. But yeah. then also that, yeah, these these two moments are sort of counterposing that we have. The almost like unconscious or uh, what's what's the Christian word involuntary fantasy of the child at home alone, and then the like performed fantasy of the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking again last time I was speaking about uh, Tolstoy's defamiliarization device or estrangement technique. Classically, the um, example, the classic example of that is that. Tolstoy would like begin a scene in, in within describing a play, you know, a play that's happening, but you wouldn't know it was a play. Oh, is that right? That's I didn't a, realize that's he a did classic, that. That's a oh. classic example, which is actually a little more rigid than the one that I quoted last time um, about Wood saying that the children were on a train to Moscow. That um, is more rigid, yeah. And obviously, there are way more subtle ways of defamiliarizing. So you can do it with one adjective or one detail, but. Um, uh, Bergman does a bit of this as well, and that when oh, yeah. we, you know, when we see the play, we at some point we we usually well, no, but even before play. that, the very first frame is Alexander looking inside of this dollhouse. Good, the first right? First thing so, you see is inside the, or it's a theater. It may be like a dollhouse model of a theater. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So then, it's always, and I actually wrote like we're seamlessly subsumed in just who's real fantasy, and we don't know who's yeah real fantasy we're in any and i said i used the word real fantasy because it becomes increasingly unclear uh the distinction seems to blur right um oh uh, totally 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 yeah no i mean that's a huge thing in this i think it was i was found a good quote from some fucking critic who's written about this and i think the thing that sums it up most distinctly is uh someone said that fanny and alexander explores the unreality of life itself so Hmm. and also in the last um the very last thing the very last line of this whole thing is um grandma mrs ekdahl reading a strindberg play and the very first line of that 
play, which is a dream play, is anything can happen, all is possible and probable. Time and space do not exist. On an insignificant foundation of reality, imagination spins out and weaves new patterns. That may be true, but I would also I would say that also Berkman seems to be showing us the ways in which fantasy and reality are actually like almost patiently constructed, you know, because we see the preparation for this dinner as though it is the a prep a rehearsal for uh, a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the maids and the staff are talking about how they prepare the food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we see the wait the servants about to enter the dinner party or whatever they actually are do have this like almost like choreographed moment right where they have the light the punch on, on fire it's like this yeah. day. this is no this and is so, backstage at the theater yeah oh that's backstage mm-hmm. well yeah. still holds true absolutely there's like we're seeing the little granular details of how the kind of uh, i guess you call i don't know if you would call it fancy or reality or some meshed world of both is like performed and crafted every day and then but then there are these like slippages um where people or, or things themselves sort of actually break down i agree um, yeah i agree and i think well and I, I think we're talking about the same thing i think yeah it's about right so uncle oscar gives this very tearful speech to the theater group about how i've come to love what does he call it this little world inside of the world this tiny or the small world mm. inside of the big world and i think over especially as this movie or series progresses it, you start to see how people are kind of playing the role of themselves in their right. own lives but they're not necess- their heart's not really in it anymore like uh for example there's that memorable scene between uncle carl and his dumb bitch german wife who's extremely nice to him but he treats like absolute shit um and they have it's it's almost plays out exactly like a stage play their conversation in their bedroom it's really it's like I don't know, some kind of domestic drama. But then they have the the exact same little drama two episodes later. Um, And Mm. I think that like where reality starts to falter when it's like stretched or when it's repeated. And I think the same thing holds for when the maid says, this is, we've been doing this for 43 years now, right? The fantasy of the distinction between maid and upper class has kind of fallen apart, which is shown also in the dinner where the maids are eating with the... um, with the egg dolls. So like all these little constructions um, given to reality are starting to wane or just I wonder, throw to credit. Are those, are the creakings of those fantasies, like are those being, are, do the children see those? Like, cause then it seems like, you know, these the children are in this somewhat insulated hermetic fantasy world because they, you know, are in a state of innocent wonderment still mm-hmm. where they're in the, the uh, little world inside the big world yeah a chandelier can start you know vibrating and a, and a grim reaper can be not that that's not happening to the adults but the children seem more enclosed or though i don't know perhaps the argument is the adults are are equally enclosed in fantasies that are that maybe yeah i think less... that's one way to gloss it i don't think it's quite that straightforward but i think yeah. more or less the adults are also to an extent in a play of their own lives and don't realize it. Whereas the children are more just thrilled by the play. I don't know. Maybe the children don't realize yet they're in a play. I mean, there's certainly this. They're not playing themselves yet. They just are themselves. 
again, to make a, you know, not exactly a contrived connection between last week's reading and this week's viewing, I think, you know, Bergman shows us really wonderfully like that, this kind of like antic fantasy life of children here and how that, you know, in the, I actually felt weirdly, I thought that I was seeing a lot of these events in the point of view of a child, a child, because I was sort of like bored actually, you know, basically you're like sitting <laughs> watching, you're like watching these like solemnities take place and you're watching yeah. these like adults kind of drone on. And then I, I remember, I remember very well this feeling of being a child during like, you know, the official events, like you can't wait to escape and run off and like yeah. take part in your mission, your secret mischief world. Right. Yeah. And like yeah. wait to, wait till the lights are off and like that's when the fun begins. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we see, we have access to that, that other world or that, that kind of mischief, fantasy, ludic, playful world of children. But it's not um, the entire perspective because there are absolutely parts not, where not, there's no not. way it could be Alexander's perspective. No. But then there are other parts where you're convinced there's this whole thing in Alexander's, um, in Alexander's head, also, which at first I thought it was going to be. I was trying to, I mean, somehow Bergman's, not that I'm actually an expert in Bergman things Bergman at all but his actual like camera work here seems somehow more subtle like it wasn't that obtrusive I almost didn't oh no it's like well again I think it's like theater right it's so many it's just okay. like a fixed perspective where things are the actors are moving in front of you know the audience us the audience of the, the fixed see. camera he actually was super against um Dogma 95 which we've have we talked it? about it he was super against it yeah mentioned it um I didn't know that. I didn't even yeah. know he encountered it. Yeah, the, they, they asked him to contribute like a film to it. Um, so are you saying that he was on the side more of a traditional illusion making, which makes him sound more reactionary conservative than he probably was? But no, he wasn't reactionary. He was just kind no, I of, know mm, rigid, maybe more rigid. But no, this is so. I'm going to read some of this. They interviewed Thomas uh, Vinterberg. Have you ever heard of this director? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a Swedish. I guess he's a Swedish director. And Criterion interviewed him about Fana and Alexander. Um, and he, or no, they asked him to choose his favorite scene of a movie of all time. And he chose the Christmas scene in Fana and Alexander. Um, and he says, well, should I just find the part about Dogma 95? Um, Bergman strongly disagreed with the use of a lot of camera movement. Both Lars von Trier and I invited him to do a dogma film, but he thought dogma was the silliest thing he had ever heard of. He just pulled it apart completely in that conversation I had with him. He was more authoritative, decisive, and stringent with his camera, and in that sense, our films went against his approach. The dogma films take the camera where the actors are. Bergman puts the actors in front of where he likes the camera to be. He was educated in the theater, so he knew how to make something like a cut on the stage. When characters suddenly go silent or sit down, that's like a cut. If everyone on stage looks at one person, that's like a close-up. He used those methods within the frame of the camera as well. So I think, yeah. I actually found a, I, was, I have this book, Mason has this book of Bergman on Bergman, a series of- Oh shit. Interviews. And now of course I lost my place in the fucking book. But Bergman puts forth a rather fascinating theory where, he thinks that the director's physical form dictates the way in which they move the camera. What? So, yeah, he says that because Hitchcock is fat, <laughs> he can't, he doesn't move around. He can't be nimble with his camera. That's so awesome. 
And then he says Orson Welles, on the other hand, although he appears, it appears that he would use a similar style because he too is rotund. <laughs> in fact, he overcompensates and is so agile as to betray the fact that he's really fat. Hmm, okay. <laughs> and now I need to find this line, but I actually thought, oh, here it is. Was Bergman, you know, Bergman was a, was a rather lean guy, wasn't he? I think he was, yeah, he mentions yeah. this. He says, anyone who gradually discovers this something artistic about himself, he makes a weird swerve here. I, I can't really follow the logic. Something tumultuous and unclear that he's an intellectually suspect hodgepodge becomes somewhat guarded. It's like the day one realizes one is getting a pot belly and methodically starts getting rid of it. In my job, it's a torment not to be physically nimble. To have to drag a great heavy body around with one is dreadfully unpleasant physically. I've often thought how Hitchcock must suffer from it. Much of Hitchcock's limitations, I think, but also his greatness within them, within them, are to be found in his heavy body. His way of always working in the studio, using a static camera, not moving about, uh, he has erected it all into a system using long scenes where he wanted to give himself the trouble of having to move about. And then this, this inner, his interlocutor says, what a theory, it fits Orson Welles too. Yes, uh, but it can also go by contraries. Suddenly this heavy man finds he has an instrument capable of flying. He can't fly, but his instrument can. We've all felt that way before, I'm sure, fellas. For my part, anyway, I feel a need to be not only physically nimble, but also to try to keep my resources, the ones I still haven't sorted out in some sort of good order. It's a fight against chaos. If you're chaotic, your artistry is restricted. This seems to actually get at what um, that director you just talked about was saying. Your artistry is restricted. You can't survey things properly. You fall victim to a lot of dubious impulses, each pulling in a different direction. So I then okay. also wondered. So that he, uh, yeah, is the ultimate takeaway about this that it's if you're a director, it's good to be fat, <laughs> or perhaps it's good to be nimble and fit, so that. But it seems like he came. He, he came away from that on the side of the, of the not swerving, right? Of having well, the it, still camera. Yeah, but in this and, case, it seems more of like an austerity of like. Hmm restraint almost i mean he doesn't want to have the pot belly so oh interesting there's a kind of maybe a sort of in a shaving away of i'm not sure that i'm not sure I, I don't know if he's like limiting artifice because you know a lot of directors though they move their camera to like to signify reality in a way that often feels somewhat cheapened i suppose um it is true that i suppose this does feel kind of you're right i mean this would this would qualify as a, as a the, the Tolstoyan defamiliarization in the classic sense where the the play feels as real as the reality and the reality feels as fantastical or performed as the play right sometimes because- yeah sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't and i think what is so weird about this is how the so-called reality kind of swerves in and out of, of fantasy because sometimes it's very like high drama. It seems like a play. And then other times it seems very naturalistic. Um, and I think part of that is just like, this is an uneven movie. It's like an odd film. Like if you were to, because I watched it as a series, um, it gets really weird. It becomes almost like a different movie toward the end, um, which is cool. Like I appreciate that. Um, it's maybe not like a perfect quote perfect movie in any sense of the word um notably it's like uh it was going to be his last film and part of the reason he said and this goes to what you're saying before why it was going to be his last film is he said he was getting too physically exhausted to yeah no that goes to what you said he was getting too physically exhausted he just wanted to 
girl pot belly, I guess. So, um, but yeah, it feels like he almost wanted to get everything in there because at first we have this like nostalgic and light childhood reflection, but toward the end it becomes like a kind of more classic Bergmanian psychodrama to some extent. But I think what ties it all together is the unreality of life itself, as that quote said. Yeah, I was shocked when I first watched this film. I think I watched it around Christmas. Yeah. I was on Clonopin in my mother's basement, if I remember correctly. Hmm. And I was, ex I, you know, I, my idea of Bergman was fairly the cliche of like psycho, austere psychosexual angst yeah in, in gray landscapes yes and then this seemed actually to be incredibly warm it had this a sort of inviting warmth that it was unexpected oh it's so warm yeah that's also Although, how it's not like Kanausgard because Kanausgard has this like childish fantasy thing but it's never warm this is such a warm recollection uh there's some I would say there's a human warmth in Kanausgard is there the is there I honestly don't know can you think of a scene that's like full of warmth I mean, I feel like even some of the the narration of his childhood is, mm, I, I would use the word inviting, but I, I guess you're right that like the form itself is certainly kind of gray. I wouldn't describe it as icy or cold. Yeah, it's it, not that either. He also doesn't necessarily, he doesn't participate. It's in, just lukewarm. <laughs> it's just like with everything. It's just lukewarm and bland. He doesn't participate in the fantasy in the way that Bergman does here. Right. Um, right. For sure. I don't know. I would, it would be, I did wonder like how would Knozgaard narrate this sequence? I mean, I think he's it's definitely Chris seen this. I'm sure he has. I'm sure it's, I, and I'm sure it's influenced him. Um, I want to go back to Vinterberg for a second to talk about oh. this memorable Christmas dinner scene. Uh, Vinterberg says, uh, something we learned in school was the idea of, quote, natural history, unquote. For example, the natural history of going to the cinema encompasses going to the ticket booth and buying a ticket, going to the bathroom, buying some candy or popcorn, showing your ticket and finding your seat. That's a whole story in and of itself. It doesn't seem very interesting when you talk about it like this, but you can really learn so much about people through this chain of events. Do they wash their hands? Do they complain about the price of the candy? Do they wait for someone before sitting down? There are many things you can reveal about character that way. And in the celebration, I kept to that very strictly. Every time I got stuck in my writing, I just returned to the natural history. And that's what Bergman does. You watch the natural progression of a Christmas celebration step by step. The Christmas dinner scene in Bergman's film is a perfect study of character. It captures how people show the world how they want to appear when they're around a table and how they reveal what's hidden when they're off in their own rooms. I know this from my own life because I grew up in a hippie commune. Every night I came to a huge dinner table with 20 people and they were all performing who they wanted to be. At the same time, I knew exactly what was going on in their lives in the rooms around the house. That table was where I saw people being torn down if they weren't socially strong, but it's also where I felt a sense of togetherness that was euphoric. So the dinner table has always been the defining thing for me and Bergman reflected my experience back to me. There is something kind of guardian about this concept of a natural history. There isn't, there isn't. The thing, I think the thing that's Canal's guardian is that there isn't an innate drama in people doing things that are mundane, right? It's like right. what 
on this tree diagram of the things they could do. Like, will they complain about the candy or won't they complain about the candy? And if you can depict that sensitively enough, or I don't know, if you have the talent, you can make that into an epic. The thing that's not Canal's Guardian is that <laughs> the idea is that you can use this idea of natural history to establish character in a very pointed way for like a larger, you know, as a device to like contribute to your narrative, which he absolutely saying. does not do. He doesn't, he never well, establishes character through like. Well, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. In Kanagar's case, the natural history is it. Like that's the whole project. It's just like the natural yeah. history of uh, exactly, of exactly. That's it. The natural it's history not to, of yeah. an evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, if you learn something about the people that he's sort of encountering in the natural history, you know, that's great. I suppose you learn about them maybe in a way that feels like less formed and a little but bit. But he only really does the natural history for himself. It's never for other people. If he's about other people, he'll just tell you, like, I thought this person was a fucking idiot who thought too much of himself. And this woman uh, was making the dip and she was an attractive, but not attractive to me. And mm. So you're yeah. saying that other characters don't necessarily have an autonomy of having their own No, they don't. History? I don't think so. Only can Asgard. Um, Whereas I think you see as characters are established so uh, succinctly in the Christmas dinner scene. Yeah, I mean, clearly Bergman, if he's not more influenced, yeah, he's more influenced by, I guess, the theater or what we just maybe more traditional theater. You know, I mean, it's not not even that like this is such a traditional work or conventional work, but you know characters are going to be defined and like differentiated yes um, yes a lot of differentiation in this certainly as we've discussed ad nauseum knausgaard lacks because um, these people also i mean some of them are actors thespians. yes and that's another layer to this whole thing right and then it's revealed like much later on in and fanny and alexander that mrs ekdal herself was an actress um when she was younger and so wow. again, the line between performance—it's not even that there's a line. They're you know they're performing their own realities all the time. They, it's unclear that they even can see any boundaries um, between a performance and a kind of reality, or reality reality is performed, right? I, I don't know. Um, maybe that sounds like a banal insight, but. Yeah, and that, no, I think that may so. be truer, perhaps, when we have a, a troop of thespians. There's also a parallel where we have like the f- different theaters, right? So like there's a there's a the f- troop of actors, the theater, the family, the theater family, and then there's the theater of the family, right? Right, which is not necessarily at the, the dinner table itself. Yeah. Um, and then I'm try- I, I wonder. And then, of course, you know, in a strange way, as we just said, it's not as though this film is uh, self-aware or self-reflexive in a in a postmodern way, perhaps. But it is commenting on its own. Yeah, it's not postmodern all at all, but it is it is a little bit clever. Yeah, I mean, it's gently, very yeah. gently self-conscious in that it forces us to reflect on the performance of what we're seeing as what's happening before our eyes um, and how that's being crafted. I mean, yeah, I think it's ultimately about what, what, what about when you get fucking tired of the performance and all that's left is death. That's Mrs. Ekdal's arc. That's absolutely what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because you see her in the very beginning of this, like she spends, she clearly sp- spends so much time on her appearance still. Um, 
but she's kind of she, I think at some point she says to Emily like the grandchildren are great but things aren't what they used to be I'm getting old I'll die soon like um at some point you're phoning it in something like I, that um but just taking I, yeah. shots of schnapps yeah <laughs> and she's also drunk all the time yeah she is <laughs> <laughs> I love her I love that actress shout out to that actress um fun fact apparently she had cancer pretty bad cancer um it was pretty far in while she was filming and she was like in a lot of pain oh that's uh, enough seems a lot ask, of given the themes we just talked about yeah i think so yeah i mean i would guess she died not long after this but it also even seems that bergman is playing with the fact that we would again in a strange way that sounds not postmodern or something but it's not quite that we would assume that this is his autobiography but it's not quite it's like at oh hmm. I, don't, I don't know that maybe, is maybe that's wrong i think maybe it's like autofiction <laughs> it, it almost is though I mean, yeah. because it's, it's like he's inviting it you is. Like, oh, this is just the, the story this is when he, yeah. he was in his old days so he's like setting down his visual memoir yeah a um, little bit i think it's a little autofictional but I mean, although i, I might... think a, a yeah probably a change as significant as that his dad in real life was um a strict bishop whereas his dad in this is actually a very nice warm man so maybe it's like it's a fantasy it's actually his fantasy yeah his fantasy yeah yeah (laughs) um where can although can i suppose i haven't read the earlier books actually seem he he worked pretty freely in a more fantastical mode angel and some angels well and he and he goes back to that in the morning star the little i've read of it Uh, morning star Sausage money staff. Did you ever did you ever eat those those fake meat things? I don't know if those are still in vogue. I only eat real meat. In fact, I eat I meat that's so real it's raw. Good for you. You know about steak tartar. I know all about it. Remember those days? I'm nostalgic for the tartar <laughs> days. Simpler times. Instead of the salad days, it's the tartar day. <laughs> Yeah, just innocently eating raw meat and bistros mm. and brasseries. Now, now I've just been eating fucking smoked salmon. Well, that's I'm kind of you've my, come back around. Yeah, I know. I, I've come full circle. I'm back in my. Yeah. I'm, swim, I'm swimming again. Actually, I went back to the. Oh, piers. good. Oh, I'm so happy for you. I went back to the piers. I've been doing yogurt and salmon. For a second, I thought you said I've been doing yoga, and I was like, "Oh <laughs> fuck no!" I don't, I don't I'm, not a, I'm not an oriental. I'm not an orientalist. <laughs> That's uh, true. By the way, if you do yoga, you should kill yourself because you're an orientalist, and it's problematic. Please end your life. Please end your life if you do yoga. <laughs> kill yourself in pleasure. Yeah. Oh no, but not enough. Le- at least give your athleisure to me before you extinguish for you um, i actually found I, I i think i've talked a bit about this book which actually well i, I don't want to reiterate this whole in enmeshment of fantasy and reality but it's a book called little big which is a sort of domestically thick fantasia by a writer called john crowley and i, I recommended this in my um my bookshop list i think which no one read but shout out to our wildly unpopular bookshop. You can still go there. I know. Not a single person extent- has bought a book on it. 
there's an extended to give a what you need to know is people used to be in readings at Iowa. People would always be in readings like what you, before they read their dreadfully boring novels. They say what you need to know is um, oh, my like narrator to... oh, is yeah. a plastic surgeon in Cleveland. His daughter has recently come out as bisexual, <laughs> and their son um, has a stained tote bag, which results in a spillage of Pepto Bismol adding to the stain. And also, what Getting you need a little to know is. The mother uh, never returned from Mississippi where her lover died. Oh, also he, oh, I forgot to mention that the lover served in Vietnam and he, he never left. He went in, he went like, have you read Heart of the Darkness? I, I was referencing that, you know, uh, Mr. Curtsy dead. And what you need to know is that this is actually a form of autofusion that has never been tried before. So I'm sort of binding together different strands of imagery. And what you, uh, oh, and what you, oh, I forgot. There's also a dog that can, at some capricious points, talk. And, okay, so I'm going to begin on page 34. I, 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 I'm not going to do different, different voices for each character. Wait, can you, can you recap, can you recap the recap now? And so, <laughs> and so in short. So in short, what you need to know is basically, there's a, in this book, it's a family uh, where all the women have, I love it, just are, burning like, all your bridges, burning all those covered bridges <laughs> of Madison County. <laughs> Hey, that's a good ref. Thank you. Thank you, Cha-Ching. Iowa. We really need to start using the Cha-Ching. I saw song. that movie with um, my ex-Canadian girlfriends in the early... Be clear, ex-girlfriend, not ex-Canadian still. still uh, it's unclear. As far as we point, know. Is she still Canadian? Mm. She Great could question. still be my girlfriend for all I know. Um, anyway, there's this family where all the women have um, prophetic powers. They're, mm -hmm. they, can, they have mantic powers. And um, this rather kind of plain guy called Smokey marries into this family. Anyway, there's an extended Christmas sequence. And the patriarch of this family is a children's, actually writes children's books. And they, it's oh. about animals that can talk. So Christmas begins and he says, Christmas, said Dr. Drinkwater, as his red-cheeked face sped smoothly towards Smokies, is a kind of day like no other in the year that doesn't seem to succeed the day it follows, if you see what I mean. And then we, we, he continues later on down the page. I mean, Dr. Drinkwater said, reappearing beside Smokey, that every Christmas seems to follow immediately after the last one. All the months that came between don't figure in. Christmases succeed each other, not the falls they follow, which I actually think is echoed in this movie because every time one of the sort of solemnities or, or rituals begin, like the play, they say, oh, it's late. It's even later than last year. Or you can't, I think at one point, a man is reprimanded for, and, and his wife says, you can't show up drunk again as you did last year. Which is to oh, say that Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl. It's almost yeah. as though like this Christmas is just a, a, a continuation of the last one. I do feel, yeah, I've had that feeling in life before. I don't yeah. participate in Christmas myself, although I would say no, that. No, but like the holiday season, this holiday season. I feel like this like holiday a, seasons are all kind yeah. of ambiguous. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's a demarcated time. I mean, I think it's a little too... Well, uh, also probably just geographically, either. like you go to back to the same place, like right. you're in a different place for the rest of the year. And but now I think it's even, everyone's it's in even, grandma's house again. Yeah. It's not even a continuation, though. It almost seems more like a kind of stasis. Um, like every Christmas, I kind of get, I get the blues. You know, I was thinking like, 
I was trying to write this country tune called "I've Lost a Lot of Girls to Christmas." <laughs> if I if I finish it in time, I'll, we can film the I episode. Would, yeah, but, absolutely. Because Christmas is like this interruption of of the mundane, or even of the glorious mm. life you've a pattern you've established with somebody. So often, this is why you should never begin a relationship. I think in like October, November. Okay, I've wait. Let's let's get the full list. One, never begin a relationship in October and November. Two. Uh, Never Don't let her get, get on a plane. plane. Three. Yeah. Well, these are interrelated. Never let her get on a park it. bench. <laughs> Three cardinals. I, I try to avoid benches myself as well. Just oh, okay. If, I didn't realize if they that. See you, if they see you on a bench, they might use that opportunity. Or even I might just feel compelled to break up with a, wo- a woman I actually really like. Just because right. I sit on a bench with her. Just because of the power of bench. You know, I was sitting, I was sitting down waiting for the 96 as usual with the little boy. Um, we were taking the bus home, Metro bus home, and we were sitting on the pavement. It's like that weird pavement that's like a bunch of rocky, you know, that has like some coarse rocks in it. I don't know how yeah. else to describe it, like pebbly pavement. Okay. Um, and we were just like sitting down waiting for the bus. The 96 takes forever to come. And this guy on a bike just like sees me and like swerves over and he's like, So where does this bus go? And I explain where it goes. He's like, you better not sit on there too long. You might get hemorrhoids. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you for telling me that in front of this five-year-old how, child also. I didn't know that's how you contract piles. Yeah, is call. that really true? Like, anyway. Just kind but of anyway, Christmas is a big interruption. So, it, and, yeah. and maybe that it does bespeak its own timeline because let's say you're in your own timeline in a relationship and then mm-hmm. Christmas comes, somebody gets on a plane, she goes and visits their family. Yeah. You go and visit your mother. You're in the basement watching Bergman mm-hmm. and you're not in contact with your girlfriend. She starts to worry. Where are mm. you? Why are you, why are you taking Colin up and watching Bergman? You don't even have a podcast yet. This is, <laughs> and, and things start drifting and fraying and then come, and then New Year comes and you, you practically forget who, who she is. She mm. forgets who you are. I guess it, Maybe you could say this is sort of rebirth, but in my mind, no, it's because you've been sucked into the like the static demarcated timeline of, of Christmas mm. where you just you repeat the same rituals, right? Again, it is like a theater, it's like a play oh, that just repeats yeah. itself. It where is. you know you know the little acts, nativity like, play. On Christmas Eve, I'll go out with my godfather Nathan. Mm-hmm. On Christmas Day, I'll see a movie with my mom. I can already yeah. Formerly, like last year, I got really drunk and just in the kitchen and watched movies with my mom. And I, I hope to not do that again this year because also friend of the pod, Odav, will accompany me. Oh, is he going to Christmas with you? He's coming home. Oh. I'm bringing him great. home. You're reading home. And That's so, great. you know, and this year, you know, I've got no girlfriend to lose. So actually, <laughs> looking as things are looking up. It's a great gloss on it. I can just lose myself in in (laughs) Christmas, just become completely subsumed. Yeah, I guess because if you have no girlfriend to lose, there's nothing connecting you to the outside of the Christmas vortex world. You know, there's nothing to hang on to. It's not interrupting my. Yeah, just just sink into it. Timeline. Just sink into it. Although I've lost a lot of. So it feels like (laughs) I've lost a lot of girls to Christmas. Okay. When it snows, I always feel blue. Mm-hmm. I've lost a lot of girls to Christmas this year. I hope I don't lose you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
But, but then there's a little clever inversion at the end where it goes, I kind of hope I just lose you. Oh, and it's like, okay. you're unwrapping presents with your daddy. <laughs> Thinking about your new iPod and your iPod vintage. I, I don't know what people get anymore. Like, I was thinking, what do people even get as gifts? Do people even get like tangible gifts? Mm. My family is always a, just, you know, tracksuits, books. Right. Yeah. I've lost a lot of girls to Christmas. I know all about the turkey day drop. The what? And, uh, that's like when you get broken up with a Thanksgiving when you're in college. Oh, and the turkey drop. Lines like, uh, uh, um, you know, Charlotte went skiing up in Aspen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, got on a plane to France. <laughs> I've lost a lot of girls for Christmas. I like I that. I guess I'll just try another dance. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you need to finish this so we can put it at the end of the episode. I've lost a lot of love <laughs> at New Year's. Oh, no. As the ball drops, I sit alone. Okay. I've lost a lot now. of girls to Christmas. They don't answer their telephone. Mm. So that's my little comfort. <laughs> you know, I'm actually working on it with Mason. We've been we every night we sort of add the new verse. Like, oh, that's I've so wonderful. And then it, yeah, it's so like and then there's, there's a new because you know there's also a tradition of like rape culture Christmas songs. Oh right, like um. It's like, Maybe it's cold outside. I've lost a lot of girls to Christmas. I put on my Santa Claus hat. Mm -hmm. I've lost the melody, but basically the character puts on a a Santa Claus uniform and Mm -hmm. slides down the girl's Mm -hmm. chimney. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. By the way, there are are Christmas gnomes referenced in in this movie. Oh, I thought you were going to say in your in your song. I was no, but they might as well like. They do. They talk about the gnomes. (laughs) Yeah, they do. She fucked a gnome (laughs) up in Oslo. (laughs) I can't say I really mind. He that gnome had a little dick, but it still sticks in my mind. I like that. The sticks in my mind. Yeah, because you have the double thing of sticking in vagina and sticking in a mind. (laughs) Pretty good. (laughs) Miss. Oh, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just wish that Bergman had been still alive. Or you could have written this so, song 40 years ago, so it could have been in Fanny and Alexander. Played yeah. and it's like, okay, you know, we have our Jew songwriter. Yeah, you're like your like, uncle Isaac's other nephew. <laughs> it's like somehow inexplicably American. <laughs> Like, did America even exist when this movie was? It seems like it seems like no one would even know what America is in this movie, right? It seems like so far away from. Well, no, be Sweden's so perfect. They didn't need to know. Well, no, I guess I mean, Norway just got liberated two years before. That's like ble- that's a blessed, a yeah. blessed um, thing to witness. This, this well, movie just seems very far away from American culture and very far away from American filmmaking. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. It's maybe a, bl- a bland statement. Because I've, you know, I've lost so many girls to Christmas. 
She smells like a freshly cut tree. She's thinking about her younger brothers. She ain't thinking much about me. I'm going to cut this all out. (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe I'll leave in one verse. Well, what if I what if I complete the song? I'll put that in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm no, and I want to say sincerely, I'm sorry that you've lost so many girls to Christmas. I mean, that must be hard. Uh, actually, I've had, a few relationships have persevered through Christmas. What do What do you think is your percentage rate for? Uh, eighty twenty, eighty eighty. Lose 80, keep 20. Ooh. But there's it's still always eerie when you reunite with a with a partner in the new year. There's an eerie sense. I always feel weird. I agree with that actually. Not necessarily a partner, but just anyone. You're like, I was back in the Christmas vortex, and you don't know how things were there. I yeah. was in the this holiday season dimension. And now I've reemerged and I'd have to I live mean, my life again. Perhaps this is inflected or infected too by the fact that my life for most of my my life for most of my life most of my life has been lived on the schedule on the itinerary of 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 the academic calendar right 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 so i don't know what it's like for those working folk well i mean i do work but i work in a school setting yeah so there's always like a breakage point right yeah all kinds of shit can happen during the break I mean, also, you know, people always go home, get drunk at the hometown. Like, I, I kind of love that, like, sad, blue, drunken Christmas thing. You know that? Like, you're in your hometown bar getting, like, drinking whiskey and, like, you know, your ex, your high school ex, and not that I even had a girlfriend in high school, but, like, your ex walks in. And says, oh, look what the cat drives in. I do love a hometown, a sardonic hometown reunion in the one yeah. bar in town. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, I don't know if Kenan's great experience is that, but mm, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I'm sorry about that, and let's keep talking about this Christmas dinner scene. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't want to talk about it? I want to, but I've lost track of where we even are. I'm, I'm I know, me of- too. Also, at one point, they say, who is, is Put? Who's Put? He's like, so there's all these kids who you basically never see. Progeny. Yeah. Well, in another, something that's slightly Knav's Guardian about this is most of the relatives at this dinner you never see again. There's like an aunt. Remember, there's the aunt who Alexander says, My father said that you're so rich you could marry anyone. And the yeah. aunt says, Well, thank you. You never see her again. Um, there's the fat aunt who kind of looks like a Miyazaki, a witch in a Miyazaki <sighs> film who says, talks about her husband who died like three months after they got married and grandma, Mrs. Ekdahl is kind of noncommittal about it. She's like, yeah, that was a long mm. time ago. She doesn't really seem that interested in anyone else's life aside from her own, which is, I guess, fairly accurate for a diva as we know she was. Right. Yeah. But um, and then you have the great conversation with the recipe where the maid is giving Alma a, a verbal recipe for, I guess it's chickens, she says. And of course, the visual joke is that Alma has her tits out in like one of those low cut dresses. So she says you have to brown the breasts and then you put the ground pork on it and then you douse the whole thing in cognac. Yeah, I actually really appreciated yeah. that. 
I loved Those that. instructions. Yeah. Wait, should we try to find what the entire recipe was? It was because it was more than just that. I'm really not doing a recipe. A recipe. I'm really not doing it justice. You're not but doing the. You brown the bread, and said. then you the ground pork, and then the Anna and Alexander recipe. Flaming punch. Okay. Swedish meatballs. Well, we all know about that. Thanks. Swedish potatoes. Creamy potatoes cooked with anchovies. Wait, are you seeing a full menu? Of no, this is just someone who's like has a rest, like a menu for like a Fana and Alexander inspired dinner. But it's not what Some... they're actually. I would. Like I some... did look really hard for an actual list of what they were eating on camera. No, I, I didn't know that. But I could not find it. Glog. Swedish rice pudding. Remember, Fana finds the almond in the in the rice pudding. Oh, is, is that like is that like an Afi Komen type situation? It's a, I think it's kind of an except it has to do with getting married. Oh, yeah, but there's also there's another <laughs> the Swedish Afi Komen. Well, in France, they also do the you know Three Kings Day. There's something. Oh yeah, that's where a you, um, find the the baby. Baby, you find the baby. You find the baby in the cake. The baby in the cake. I made a king cake with my kids last year um yeah and they'll have a little baby figurine which has got to have caused some choking deaths at this point but, yeah i know right no. gotta do the heim like on three kings day yeah saint lucia saffron bun what is all this shit? mini swedish hazelnut cake hmm. yeah but there's no i could not find any definitive what are they canonically eating if anybody knows not please let me know Penny and Alexander is a brand based in Argentina and aims to develop nostalgic what? toys and children's accessories. It's a brand now? <laughs> yeah, it's on baby. It's available on baby Chino kids. I wonder what if this is licensed. Purchase? You can fancy children, fancy nostalgic children's toys. This seems kind of apocalyptic to me. I hate this. You know, this, this movie always makes me think of Budenbrooks by Thomas Mann. Oh, should I read that? You should read it because there's like dance of every year. There's what? Oh no, you're breaking up. Pattern family. Can you hear me? No, Drew. Come back. Now your video. I can. Uh, it says your internet connection is unstable. Oh wait, no, I can see you now. Stop I'm so talking sick so of, close to your mic. I'm so sick of Zoom. I don't think I can Zoom again. Well, that's why we need, as mentioned before, we need a dweeb to help us with audio equipment so that we can do analog IRL, not analog. Well, I was just saying, Buddenbrook is like, like a densely patterned family, family novel, and every almost, I don't know, every few chapters, or I don't know how the timeline works. I forget. I can find my copy. We return to like the rituals of Christmas and every holiday. Oh, wow. Yeah, that I, sounds a lot like Fanny and Alexander. Right. And we hear, like, as always on Christmas Eve, the table had been set in the columned hall. Madame Budenbrook said the traditional grace with great fervor. As always on Christmas Eve, you see there's this mm, repetition of mm -hmm. as always. And it says, and once this was taken care of, the grace, I suppose, they sat down with a good conscience to a lengthy, a lengthy meal, which began with carp and drawn butter and a vintage Rhenish wine. All right. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, that's this... really yeah, yeah. 
there's this density of detail, this patterning and repetition um, often seen through uh, a child's eyes as well. I know I read any Thomas Mann. I guess I should. Buddenbrooks might be the one place to go. You think so? Definitely. My parents' book a... club had a, they had to read The Magic Mountain. Oh, I mean, The Magic Mountains. And they hated I've... it. What? <laughs> I mean, my mom was like no, getting up, like magical. oppressed by the thought of having to read more of it. She just got upset thinking about it. it it's, um, it's like I can't do it anymore, Lauren. It's more, it's more, it's far more nimble than it appears. And I endorse the Magic mm, Mountain. Okay. Well, I'll remain agnostic on it. Um. Now I just I I I try I just did a search within Buddenbrooks for the word Christmas. So I'm just looking at all the references to Christmas. Do they read story? Here it is. They read the familiar Christmas story every Christmas. Is that a thing that families do? I don't you, like because they seem to do that here as well in 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 the Bergman. They do. Yeah, they read the same stories. I thought Grandma recites a poem. I thought they were reading the Bible. Oh, maybe they were. But I don't know. Somehow when I watch this film, I always think, oh, this is probably what Buddenbrooks looked like, even though it's a bit, the timeline's a bit off. Yeah, but it seems more or less the same idea. It's like a Germanic, Nordic Christmas ritual. Yeah. And even, I feel like they're really into Christmas in that part of the world. Yeah, what's Like even more so than here. It's more of like, well, because they have, they're, you know, they're all pagans at heart and they just want to gather around a tree and I don't know, some shit like that. They're always having like Christmas markets and stuff like that. And like mold wine. Scandinavia. Yeah. Stuff like that. I, don't, I mean, look, this is a blind leading the blind here. Neither of us really celebrate Christmas. So. I celebrated when I was a kid. I mean, American Christmas seems so garish and gaudy and disgusting. Like, yeah. Yeah. I no mean, one- no one's Although having class, classy gatherings with all of the servants and the extended family. I mean, I, I would, I want to get handsy with the maid. And that's a, and that's a crucial part of Swedish Christmas. We now know from I the just documentary want to be a, Fanny uh, and Alexander. I want to be a 10 year old boy and like the kind of babysitter, <laughs> babysitter, coom maid. Uh, this is really making me uncomfortable. <laughs> just gives me a good night kiss. No, but I think kids are like naturally just drawn to any mom figure. And like, I remember the six-year-old I used to have would propose marriage to me all the time, like all the but time. She's, but yeah. to me, that she's more like, she's appealing. It seems like she's looking for. You think his affections are reciprocated? Sexually? Well, she isn't she, she's being pursued by one of the men. By Gustav Adolf. Yeah. Yeah. Who, by the she way. Kind of, her role seems to shift that sometimes she's like a, daughter she's a mistress she's a sister well but and that's part of what makes i think that's part of what makes the family the ichdal so bohemian is there's really not fixed roles in the sense because like later my and the spoiler alert um she gets pregnant and they just accept her into the family and they have like an official gathering with my's child and the the wife by the way that wife is so i don't know if it was just his family but that wife is so open-minded um Everyone's like, aren't you mad that he's pursuing no, the maid? And she they're, says, they're, no, they're, I think it's sweet. <laughs> they were Polly. It was Polly. They're Polly. I think they were like very, they were early Proto Polly. Proto Polly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the wife just accepts her into the family. She's like, yeah, sure, you're my husband's mistress. You're having his kid. Um, 
It does Isn't seem it? like a very liberal family. And yeah, it seems like, but it seems it does, there is something that's been transgressed and that because two of the servants complain at dinner that, um, you know, in Mr. So-and-so's time, we never would have eaten dinner with the family and they they clearly feel uncomfortable with it. Um, so they want to divide. Well, yeah, again, the fantasy is falling apart. The, the well, right, the rigid demarcation between onstage and backstage between uh aristocrats and servants has kind of been collapsed perhaps even the rigid yeah. demarcation to what extent can we even keep up the demarcation between the christmas timeline and the non-christmas timeline mm. yeah maybe it's christmas i don't know maybe it's and all the other timelines yeah. on some level it's always christmas on some yeah. level <laughs> If you say that with enough confidence, people will just be like, yeah. You can just get away with anything. You can just say, it'd be like, on some level, and I realize you that throw phrase. in some words like aesthetic, um, you know, corporeality. Right. But in one sense, you know, but in one Christmas sense, is yeah, non-linear. Especially if you prepend in one sense, you can right. get away with anything. In one sense, it seems to me as though the in some way Christmas stands in some way, outside. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way in a manner of yeah in a way in a manner of after speaking. a fashion after a fashion and a good one. yeah that after that is a good one what are some other lazy manner of speaking after manner a fashion speaking. i just remember friend of the pod ralph savory's his big one was part and parcel part and parcel yeah it's now, actually in and in, incommensurability was his other big incommensurability yeah. i can't even hear that word without getting yeah like, shivering experiencing her revelation of the flesh shout out to ralph hope you're having a good christmas uh, i hope all of our listeners are having a good christmas to all those who celebrate this holiday i hope everyone's having a good great this holiday season that's what we all share right i think i'll be preparing a prime rib because that's my mother's favorite dish is that really robin's favorite dish prime rib prime rib she's sort of a traditional girl what do you what does she think? What do you think in terms of sides? You're gonna do some oh, very mashed potatoes. Sparse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you maybe just roast roasted potatoes, simply roasted. Well, and that's nice. I mean, my mother likes Brussels sprouts. Just make sure the potatoes are all the same size when you roast oh, them. Oh, that is this very drives important. me fucking crazy. Even when some are larger than the others, yeah. Then you have to like take out the smaller ones and put it back in. This shit drives me insane. It's like, what okay. is even the point? There are also people don't realize different potatoes taste far better than others. Like you need to get caught. I mean, it, I, I, I'm not to be too boutique and artisanal and whatever the fuck, but God if you forbid. get really beautiful potatoes at like a farmer's market situation, the texturally and uh, gustatorily or whatever, they often far exceed your bland supermarket potatoes. Are you a fa- are you fond of those like what are those called like new potatoes like the smaller potatoes? Yeah, honestly, yeah, those are fine. But sometimes you want a more robust like you want that like waxy kind of yellow potato, mm, like a Yukon like, Gold maybe. Yukon oh, I know what gold. you're talking. I think that's Yukon Gold. Yeah, I like an. Nice For a one. while, I was cooking these really actually a, a special way I cook potatoes. I don't know how special it is really is actually sort of like braising them. So you get small, you can get you like small red potatoes, but you can do it with any kind really, although the small red ones seem to be the best in this context. You cut them in half um, and then you put them in a pan with like broth and oh. some herbs 
You bring it. You love your... braising. You're very fun. I love. I, oh, I braise everything. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the yeah. Drew method. Yeah. That's my method. It also yeah. just is like a good. It seems like it's kind of like in one set. Like you get points if you say I braised something. People are entranced. That's you, true. That's you, another thing you like, can say where people will just automatically accept what you're saying. It, just you like in have, a way, in a manner yeah. of speaking. On another, on some level, I braised. Just say I braised. That's the same thing. Yeah. In yeah. one sense, I braised <laughs> the potatoes. In another sense, I roasted them, which is actually true here because um, <laughs> you simmer them in water, and once the water starts, so they soften a bit. You know, like mm-hmm. the rawness kind of comes up. But then you also put like a hunk of butter, and as that, mm. as the water cooks out, they start or oil, I should say, they start frying or roasting sort of some somewhere between the two. I don't know. Sautéing. I don't, I don't fucking know. In the butter. So then they start browning. Mm. Um, so you basically st- sort of steam slash simmer them and then sauté them in one pan. Um, and they get like speckled, nicely speckled. Um, oh, I love speckling. But I'll probably do something. I definitely will prepare potatoes in some after fashion. <laughs> on some, I, I on some level you'll prepare potatoes i'm not sure how i would actually correctly use it doesn't after a fashion mean like close but not quite like yeah more well like he's a writer after a fashion more yeah <laughs> yeah it's, let's just equiv a uh, new year's resolution equivocate everything even the resolution <laughs> in 2020 wait wait in some sense i've made it uh 2022 20 yeah 20 is the year of equivocation. So in some way it's 2022 in one sense this will in be one the year s- of equivocation <laughs> in a manner of speaking this is the year of equivocation uh, one way of looking at it is to say this is on the some year level of this is the year i don't commit to anything intellectually and I'm just a on, <laughs> now part and parcel of being non-equivocal is remaining <laughs> rigorously resigned <laughs> to brazing your own ideology. Well, and this is why on some level we're not committing to a binary or demarcation for potato cooking styles. Is, mm. is it brazing? Is you it can roasting? Blend, you can do a little potato incest if you, you choose. Can do you can <laughs> blend varietals. Although, again, now I'm trying to think what vegetable I cook. I Maybe I'll just do like green a glazed beans. carrot. Oh yeah, it's no. Hard. You need what? some green, need green. in there. Always need, green. need greenery. Yeah, kind of fucking tired um, of broccoli, to be honest. I'm so, I'm tired of Brussels sprouts and green yeah, bro. No, I'm done. To prepare, they're not that bad. Just steam them. But I want something interesting. You know what you can do? Green beans gremolata. This is great because was, hey, interesting. Um. <laughs> Can you elaborate? What is, gra- is gremolata? What is gremolata. gremolata? So here's what you do. I made this for Thanksgiving. It's not very hard. You boil the green beans, you mm-hmm. blanch them, and then you make a gremolata, like almost like tapenade, which is garlic, lemon zest, olive oil, Parmesan, and uh, toasted pine. Oh, you shouldn't do toasted pine nuts, because, although you're probably not allergic. Um, and parsley. Why are there so many truthers out here these days trying to claim that I'm not allergic to nuts? <laughs> There's a fucking... Rash of nut, nut allergy truthers. Wait, who are all these other nut allergy truthers? Can't talk about them. Well, but it's Just because I'm of... one of you. Okay, I can't be a truther if I also have nut. My brother. Oh, really? Ned is accusing you. My brother. Remember how my brother and Feeling I went out to dinner valor? with a certain right, with uh, a certain friend of actress. The show. Yeah. They bonded in their shared 
suspicion, <laughs> incredulity, awesome. or about yeah. my nut allergy. Like, what a terrible way to bond with someone's family. No, I think that's the greatest way to bond with someone is mutual slagging off or shared slagging off or taking the piss. I, you know, again, I only have Commonwealth ADMs for this, unfortunately. <laughs> Commonwealth? Oh, shout out to Commonwealth. I'll be living a 15-minute walk from there pretty soon. Not that anyone will ever be going anywhere ever again. Commonwealth is done. <laughs> Commonwealth. Our wizard is becoming a peripatetic. Oh, yeah, he's moving to Berlin or whatever. Critic. Don't Aim, do that. Aren't we if all Christian, if you're listening to this, don't do it. It also sucks over there. I don't know. I've never been there. But oh, I mean, I've lost a lot of girls to Berlin, second only to Christmas. <laughs> How about in is park benches below that? Well, there are a lot of benches in Berlin because there's so many great public parks in Europe. Famously, yeah, famously. I never, if a woman even suggests we take go to Central Park, I swerve. Mm. <laughs> don't put me near a plaque. <laughs> there's so many plaques in Central Park. It's it's a really dangerous place for plaques. You don't want to be near plaques. There are just so many opportunities for like splitting your head open on the sharp corner of a plaque. I mean, where them plaques go? Where them plaques go? There's a plaque to uh, my man Balto. Why does everybody get a plaque? It seems like everyone who dies gets a plaque. (laughs) What's the deal with plaques? Does everybody warrant a fucking bench? Also, it's kind of. I don't understand the honor of getting a bench in your in your name. Just some shit people do to, you know, just so you can go over there and remember your loved ones. We should get an hour struggle bench. bench. Little little do these people commemorating loved ones know that many breakups are happening because so of many their, breakups are because happening. of their good intentioned uh, gesture. Because they want to, you know, I we I want to do it in a neutral. Like you can hear the, the person talking to them. Yeah. Like, I want a neutral space, and like we'll just be walking along and. <laughs> we'll have we'll have our americanos and i'll just take a few pensive breaths and then i'll, I'll think about how to you know, you know broach it but um you know we'll be in fresh air and actually even oh the this day, is the this is the person scheming how to the do the breakup okay okay severer the severer i mean i the other day at work i had to meet with like my supervisor and it was like a routine weekend meeting he said do you want yeah. to take a walk Oh, and I no. thought, like, this is like some surprise. Oh, no. am, am I about to get taken out? Yeah. <laughs> Did no. it, what happened? Did he just want to take a walk? I well, I have a suspicion that lately I've been a little MIA, shall we say? Uh... Like during the day, I feel free when I'm not actively teaching. I kind of just roam around. I go to La Colombe. Yeah. I drink coffee. I hang out. I talk. You know, I rove in Rome. Amble. So. Mm. I thought maybe he was like, I see he was trying to subtly reveal that he knew of my ways. Of your peregrinations? Yeah. Of your peregrine espresso? They peregrine espresso. No, you broke up again. Peregrine to walk. I said, yeah. I hit hit the virtual bench. (laughs) I just got that. Sat down on the virtual bench, baby. Um, he's like, so do you like to walk? And I'm like, yeah. Um, no, no, <laughs> I, I don't like walking. I, 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 I swim. I swim. I don't walk. Much. I sit and I swim, but I don't, I don't, I don't 
I don't perambulate. No, I'm not a big perambulator. Perigenator? No. I tend to stay pretty still. And, but I wasn't, in the end, I wasn't severed somehow. Oh, okay. Phew. So that means you're going to take me out to some middling bistros when I get to New York, right? It's on you. All right. Bruce broken uh, up again, but since he can't uh, respond, the answer is probably yes. And this is on record and a thousand people have listened to it. So now Drew has to pay for dinner. Isn't that right? <laughs> I'll always, you know what I say. I'll always, I will always and, and happily enthusiastically buy tartar for anyone. Because I want to make sure that no woman in my life is anemic, you know, mm-hmm. I want that blood to be robust. Thank strong. you. Thank you. I'm all about that strength and fecundity and all that shit fecundity um you know just keep the blood moving keep it warm keep it i'm on the side of mammals absolutely fuck reptiles honestly and these fucking birds are there's a family of doves that live in my air conditioner unit which i never extracted dude i hate those birds i saw them several times while i was using your bathroom and i was like get the fuck bitch what are you looking at they give me the googly Pervers. eye as I piss. <laughs> I see the googly eye. No, I believe me, I've seen it. And I have to shut the window because it looks demonic. And I yeah. think, what, why, yeah, why are you watching me piss? Look at your. Well, and who's to say these birds aren't drones, very advanced drones? Who said these birds are spying on your dick? dick? Yeah. <laughs> That's what, if someone invents an extraordinarily lifelike drone, the first thing they use it for. <laughs> looking at but why every morning like in the morning trying to piss and I see a googly eye looking at my dick <laughs> a fucking morning dove or even worse a pigeon oh, oh, oh. honestly a really haunting image terrifying and grotesque yeah i don't fuck with birds you know fuck, i'm gonna say this now ornithologists it's on site i don't know what you're doing <laughs> with your life that you think i want to spend more time looking at these little freaks you know what i'm saying I mean, they're so unpredictable. I like mammals because you can predict their movements. Like if you touch a mammal, you know how it's going to react. It'll sort of have some give, mm-hmm. right? It has like a kind of fleshy give. It's like sure, pliable, yeah. pliant. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a woman, you know? Mm. But a bird, I mean, it's kind of like a woman. A woman is a mammal. <laughs> Assuming you were the mammalian woman, which I can't be sure about these days. A lot of them are actually reptiles. Mm. This is true. But a bird, you don't know. Although, actually, I'm gr- you don't know how they're going to react. However, I'm, I hate to say it, I'm growing a tenderness for the morning to have on my air conditioner. Because oh, no, there. this is a twist. They're there, they're there every morning, and I want them to know that I feel I'm not going to scare them away. Right. I'm feeling it's almost like I'm a prisoner where, like, they're my only friends in that room. And Right. Especially during right, COVID, right. when I had COVID, oh, they were yeah. my companions. <laughs> they were. They were. That's true. I don't want them necessarily that close, but also they're not pigeons, they're doves, which is a little more endearing. Yeah, that's true. They have kind of peaceful associations. Well, then now they're covering my air conditioner. If I turn the air conditioner on, I'll be breathing in fucking dove shit. Mm. It's like a, what's the word? A columbarium? Do you know that word? Columbarium? A what? A columbarium is, I think, the fancy word for a pigeon or dove house. I love that. That's great. Let's see. Columbarium, a rumor building with niches. Oh, for funeral urns to be stored? For what? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. It can be both. That's strange. 
It can be both a structure for the respectful and usually public storage of funerary urns or the nesting boxes of pigeons. It's the same shit, man. The term, yeah, because Columba is a dove. So, but why would you, maybe that's because the original houses for urns just got inundated, flooded with pigeons, right? So then it just became, oh, we might as well. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. A dove coat. Oh, that does make a lot of sense. I believe that. Didn't let it do dual duty, ashes and ashes and doves. Yeah. That's <laughs> a good title for something. Yeah. Ashes and doves. So what else is there to say about this fucking Christmas nail? Um uh shout out just shout out shout out the whole Ake doll family. I did um oh I learned some trivia about the Ake dolls, which is that um Shout out to Norway. Apparently, the surname of the characters was inspired by Ibsen's 1884 play, The Wild Duck. Right, right. And that it made the name Ekdal synonymous with characters who cope with illusions about reality. The Fanny Wild and Duck Alexander is- adds an H to Ekdal, giving it an aristocratic air. At, well, the Wild Duck, which preempted Salinger, perhaps, in asking the question, <laughs> where them ducks go? Where them ducks go? The eternal question. Although, but, perhaps shit, I had something to a... say about ducks. What was it? I had something. Maybe, I had something actually, I wanted head. to roast a duck, but my mother uh, at Christmas. Yeah. But my mother is sort of. That anti- sounds better than a rib roast, honestly. My mother is sort of anti duck She's like, but it's very fatty. But it's like if you yeah, roast that's why it's it properly, good. It, the fat will be rendered. Yeah, and then you make it into a jus. Like, mom, mom, I'm gonna render that shit. Well, no, you use it like to put on to like make fries and that like a fancy yeah, I know. I, annoying gastropub. I, I, I yeah. do that. I kind of uh, I'm sympathetic to gastropubs. That's true. That is very much your type of food. Although, you know what I've been craving lately? Meatloaf. Make some. Make some. I think make a nice ketchup glaze. Oh, I love that. Heart. Brown sugar, molasses. Baked tartare, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Baked tartare. I've lost a lot of girls to meatloaf. I lost some to roast to pecking duck. And I've lost a lot of love to Christmas. I don't really give much of a fuck. Okay, not bad. (laughs) Okay, it's something to say about ducks. What was it? Oh, I was thinking about the phrase, just us ducks. I don't know that phrase. Apparently, my mom's grandmother used to say it like it's like when it's just us boys, but it's less like your stepfather about to molest you. It's just us ducks. Just us ducks. So it's just us ducks today. Um, well, we got to get all our ducks in a row. Oh, yes. Because this God year. God forbid the ducks are in some kind of disorderly array. This year is about to bite the dust. Is this our to bite the dove dust, which is to say the ash and the columbarium? Is this our. <laughs> Is this our final episode of the year? I, no. I think this is our final episode of the year. Yeah, and it's our final episode of the season, season two. It's our way. final episode. In a manner of speaking, it's our final episode and, um, of season two. And then we're gonna. I would say we could recap out. events of the season, but it's sort of uh, not really necessary. Yeah, not too much should happen this season. Uh, well, actually, well, yeah, some should happen. Blase. Backstage, I would say it was more backstage than yeah. Than on stage, of course, we're talking metaphorically about reality. Um, things happened, but uh, major plot contours. Drew moved to New York. He started swimming. I was still here. I decided to move to New York, and season three starts with me moving 
to New York in the eye of the Omicron storm. The perfect time. And get excited, listeners, for our um, investigation into Voyage of the Mimi. Yes, that's something that's going to happen. Which is a hallmark of Boston, one, a childhood in Boston featuring a young Ben Affleck. We're going to be Shout joined to ben by future guest Ben Affleck, a very special Ned Oranger to ex- um, explore more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and some say uh, uh, one of the most influential Jews from the Boston area. Ben Affleck? The Philip the Roth character himself, Dave Portnoy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Dave Portnoy's complaint is uh well he's actually here's the thing is first he reached out to us and said do you want to join the barstool sports empire he offered to buy us but of course because we're so editorially independent we said thank you dave we'll decline however we would deign to have you on our podcast so uh dave portnoy's complaint on the next season ben affleck on the next season matt damon as well um um Seymour Hirsch, love- is he still alive? I don't know why he popped in my head. There's gonna be some no, but there'll there'll be some good some good guests, some return guests too. I hope we're gonna start having some return guests next season. That'd be it. That'd be charming. Yeah, I think that would be charming. Check in with some old friends. And um, now that Lauren is coming to the Megalopolis, Gotham, mm-hmm, it might be coming up time. time for a live show. Yes, absolutely. And this this holiday, this Omicron season, look forward to. Now that we've burned every bridge. Now that we've burned every bridge and COVID is raging again, we are going to have a live show. So the wiz- we need to know why the wizard's still among us. I know before he before he goes like to Deutschland, ducks. ducks in Deutschland. Yeah. Um, maybe he doesn't the want duck. that announced that he's planning that. Maybe I'll have to edit that. Uh. Um. But At this point, I'm just going to stay silent because it seems like everything I say is a verboten. <laughs> You're so oppressed. What? You're so oppressed. I am. I'm getting, I'm losing my platform here. Oh, no. Okay. Well, what do you want to say? That, that you, what do you want to use your platform to say? I'm sort of craving a cookie or something. Oh. But the thing is, so many cookies are disappointing. I know. It's awful. They're often just dry and wa- or waxen. They're just cut. They're just hewn from cardboard. Honestly, that's why you need to find a good a good woman who can craft a really beautiful cookie. Mm, I bet my makes really good cookies. The maid and Fanny and Alexander. Uh, I'd call her Cookie if she was my maid. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you would, cookie, you would benevolent. You would benevolently <laughs> harass her. Well, no words like sweetie, cookie, baby. If you're talking to a waitress, that's right. Acceptable. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. And waitresses love meat, that. Yeah. You're ordering a meatloaf from a diner and you say, hey, cookie, I love the meatloaf. Okay. Be generous with that glaze. <laughs> and then you maybe touch her, you touch her as she walks away. That's yeah, like on the shoulder a little bit. Oh, a little bit. So, oh, you, know. you oh, even a little. Okay. That's probably accurate. That's tantamount to a tip in my in a sense. That's a tip. <laughs> that's <laughs> the tip, tip is her getting groped by you. <laughs> You don't leave any. You don't leave any monetary tip. I would leave the I privilege. Would leave, I would. I, I would do a monetary as well. Oh, okay. I'm not stingy. I'm not. A, I'm not a Tel Aviver. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I'm just saying next time you're in a small, like kind of David Lynchian diner situation. Right. Be generous with the tip and the tap and praise the coffee. That's a hell of a cup of coffee. What is everybody saying to that show? Oh, some damn fine, damn fine piece of pie. Yeah. Yeah. Famous. I love all that kooky Americana type milieu shit. Oh, I'll miss it so much when I'm in (laughs) Norsk. Do you think they have diners uh, in Norway? They probably do. It seems like a stodgy. Uh, place. They probably have great meatloaf, actually. They have their own varietal. They do seem like they would have meatloaf. I've lost a lot of girls to meatloaf. <laughs> I never lost a girl to duck. Yeah, and I've lost so many girls to tartar. Seems like they'd rather eat it than fuck. <laughs> I put on my Norwegian gnome costume, slid down a daddy's chute. I ate all her little cookies. I lost her in the mood. In the what? I've, I don't know. I've lost so many... Loves in New Year's Before my own ball even dropped I was waiting there in Times Square And she just took off Times Square New Year's Eve is, by the way, my vote for worst of all the holidays Oh, terrible New Year's Eve I'm so excited to stay in my parents' house packing in my room while my parents have a party with their friends downstairs. Contrived joy, forced inebriation is not my bag. Are there any... Do you have plans? (sighs) Odov is coming here. Every New Year's Eve, I usually end up with one male. (laughs) It always happens. I end up with one dude, half drunk, yeah. Kind of just like looking at each other. Well, I guess it's time to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Happy New Year, man. You don't kiss each other? Uh, we sodomize each other. Sure. <laughs> but but not no kissing. <laughs> That's cool. I've lost a lot of girls to Christmas. Falling snow kind of makes me blue. I've lost a lot of love. Christmas. This year I hope I don't lose you. This year I hope I don't lose you. Mary Alice is opening gifts in Aspen. With some ass on a Santa hat being Steve. I guess I lost another one to Christmas.
Yeah.